0: you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open to the book of Ephesians in the second chapter in verse 8. It'll take us a few minutes to get there, but that'll be the first passage we really look at and consider in our study this evening. I join in expressing my appreciation for the presence of each of you and for those that might be visitors. We thank you for coming. We ask you, if you would, to take a Bible and follow along and Make sure that the things that we say are true. And if they are true, then accept them not because we said them, but because they are true and taught in the Scriptures. And if they're not, then you'll be our friend if you point that out to us. I've thought a lot lately about the subject of the grace of God. I think partly because I'm awed by the abundant grace of God. I was looking back, and just over a year ago, doesn't seem that long, but just almost a year ago and just a couple of weeks over that, I preached a sermon called God's Plenteous Grace. And in it, we talked about two examples that I think show God's grace and how plentiful His grace is. One of them from the Old Testament was the story of David and how he committed adultery and then had Uriah killed. And yet when you turn to the New Testament in the book of Acts in the 13th chapter in verse 22, David is described as the man after God's own heart. And it mentions that he didn't turn to the right or to the left. And the second character that we talked about was Paul. And you'll remember that in the book of 1 Timothy in the first chapter, verse 15, that Paul talks about himself as being chief of sinners, and how that worthy of all acceptation that Christ received sinners, and he said, whom he was chief. And if you think about, here's David that you know committed adultery and had a man killed, and yet he can be cleansed of his sins and and be pleasing in God's sight. And here's Paul who persecuted Christians and now he is preaching and teaching the gospel when he writes to Timothy and is seemingly well accepted by our Lord. I look at that and I think I may have a chance of getting to heaven because of God's grace and not because of who I am or what I am. But I tell you that that's not a new thought to me. I baptized, was baptized when I was in junior high school and I knew exactly what I was doing and I knew that at that time that I was trusting God for grace and for mercy and for the forgiveness of sins, so that I could be saved. And it will be that same graceful God with his abundant grace that will finish the job if I'm saved and give me that salvation. I think another reason, though, that I've thought a lot about the subject of grace lately is that I have heard some others talk about it. Just recently, I heard somebody say, I don't think we understood grace in times past. Now, I'll tell you, that wasn't anybody here, but it was a member of the Lord's Church. And he's saying, I don't think we have understood grace right in times past. This past week I was with a couple of people, both of them preached, one of them full time, the other one sometime, and and I was talking about that I was going to talk about the subject of grace and how that I had heard the statement that we just didn't get it right in times past. I had to answer a phone call, so I excused myself for a moment. When I came back, they had found an article on the Internet by a fellow by the name of Edward Bragwell Jr., and in August of 2016, he had addressed that same issue. that Here was somebody saying, I don't think we've taught grace right in times past. And I liked his words. He just said, I deny the allegation. Let me just ask you, have you ever have you ever heard anybody preach somebody in salvation or into salvation without the forgiveness of sins or Jesus Christ? If they preached them into heaven or if they talked about getting to heaven and they talked about through Jesus Christ or or through the forgiveness of sins? they were teaching grace and salvation by grace. And that's what I grew up listening to, people preaching salvation through Jesus Christ and that that was showing God's grace. And that's what I've preached all my life in preaching, that we're saved by grace through Jesus Christ. And so I wouldn't deny that, that I've changed and that somehow I or, or somebody else that we usually listen to, that they have not understood grace as we should. It's possible that we've been preaching grace all the time as it should be preached, but some people just haven't been listening like they should. I can tell you from experience that there have been times in the past that I've preached about how preachers ought not to be called reverend and that not every preacher is a pastor, that a pastor refers to those that oversee the flock and and not all preachers do that. Only to have a member of the church in the midst of the week say, this is our pastor, Reverend so-and-so. And I'm wondering, where were you? When I preached on those things, and now I have to kind of smooth things over or clear things up on those occasions. And so it's possible, quite possible, I think, not that, that I have not preached grace, and that wasn't an accusation against me to begin with, but it's, it could be possible that not only have I preached grace, but others have preached grace and have got it exactly right, but that somebody just wasn't listening when it was preached. I think there's another possibility, and that is maybe they just didn't hear the word grace used as often as maybe we use it sometimes now. And so they get the idea, well, grace wasn't preached. But I've made the point before, and I know that Rain has made it also, I remember talking to Bill Reeve, and he made the point also, he said, that just because the word grace is not used does not mean we're not preaching grace. The first time that I thought of that and and mentioned it to you as an audience, I mentioned Acts 2. Do you know how many times Peter used the word grace in his recorded sermon in the book of Acts in the second chapter? None. You go back and read Acts 2, and not one time are you going to find the word grace in Acts 2. But that's a far cry from saying that Peter was not preaching grace. I mean, Peter preached that Jesus was Lord and Christ, And Peter preached that we needed to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Are we going to accuse Peter of not preaching grace because he just didn't mention the word? I want to suggest to you again that preaching Jesus as Christ and forgiveness of sins through him based on his blood through the forgiveness of our sins, that is grace. That's the definition of grace. Maybe there's one other scenario that's perhaps a little better than what we've been talking about, somebody just uh, assuming that they hadn't heard it. Maybe they've just grown in their knowledge and their appreciation of grace and they just haven't expressed it well when they say "Uh, we may not have gotten it right in times past. Let me illustrate it this way. I have through the years had numerous conversations with people that had been baptized, and they were baptized believing that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Some of them I asked point blank, and they would say yes. And, and then in times to come, they would come to me and talk to me and say, I, I'm just not sure that I understood what it meant for Jesus to be Lord in Christ. I mentioned that I was baptized when I was in junior high. I have no doubt that I understood what I was doing. I can remember laying my head on the pillow that night and thinking, "Let come what may, I don't care. I'm a Christian. If I die, I go to heaven. That's better. But I will tell you that my knowledge and my appreciation of Jesus as Christ and Lord, and the far-reaching effects of that is far greater now with the knowledge I have than when I first became a Christian. And you can grow, and and that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be baptized again just because you're you're increasing in your concept of what Jesus is as Lord in Christ, and you, you realize it's far greater than you realized even to begin with. And I think it's possible maybe that that sometimes people have grown in their appreciation of grace. I think I have. I think it's much more abundant than I I perhaps have perceived in some times past. But that's not to deny it. And that's not even to say that it wasn't preached in the right way and that I didn't get the, the point of grace and what grace was when I heard it the first time. So I want to talk with you, and I'm going to entitle the lesson, to be kind about it, Growing in the Knowledge of Grace. And I want us to talk about two or three points that I think people uh, sometimes miss, or sometimes it's the reason that some people are are saying maybe we've gotten it wrong in times past. But I want to assure you that that here's what the truth says. I, I thought about it when I was doing this. I thought about just saying, uh, when they say we, we got it wrong, say well, whose fault was that? You know, uh, maybe even even if I preached it wrong, you still got a responsibility of searching the scriptures and seeing whether or not it's so. If we got it wrong somehow, that doesn't excuse you. Don't point just at me. And you should have been coming to me and telling me where I had gotten it wrong. And again, I I point out to you that that, this accusation was not made against me and not meant to be a personal defense of something that I've said or done. But I do want us to to come to understand some points that that are being misunderstood by some about grace, Uh, some that would say these kind of things. Let me just do a couple of things in the way of housekeeping kind of on the subject of grace that's just basic to our study. And that is first of all that we would define grace as, uh, like you see it most of the time, as unmerited favor. Somebody doing you some favor that you really don't deserve. I, I didn't know it uh, and I saw after I determined to preach on this that one of the lecturers in Southside, Jordan Shrouse, preached on the subject of grace, and uh, I haven't seen his lesson or heard it, but I saw a devotion that kind of uh, summarized it. And I like the way he defined grace. He said it's a deliberate decision to give something good to someone who doesn't deserve it. And that's what we're talking about with grace. And in particular, we're talking about how God will give us a way of salvation when we really don't deserve it. And the second thing, let me tell you, that I understand that the word grace can be used for things other than just salvation. I know, for instance, that Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he talks about how God gave them grace to to be able to supply the needs of other people. And how in Romans he talks about special spiritual gifts, and he talks about these are are things that God gave these people by grace. He gave these things and they didn't deserve it. But most of the time when we talk about grace, we're talking about saving grace. And we're talking about salvation. And that's what we're focusing on this evening, this idea of of God's saving grace. If you're in the book of Ephesians in the second chapter and look at verse 8, here's a statement that Paul makes about grace. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, I want you to know, first of all, that this is not uh, the end of all things about grace. Uh, Paul is not giving this and saying, these two verses tell you everything that's involved in the subject of grace. For instance, do you think Christ is involved in grace? Why, sure he is. Did you read it in Ephesians 2? No. It's there, though it's not specifically said. And so this is not something that's just fully covering the subject of grace and saying that that this has everything open that is involved in grace. Again, for instance, Christ is certainly involved in it, but this passage doesn't specifically mention him. You could go back in context and, and read about Christ. So you can see he's talking about these things. But again, you can't just lift this verse up and say everything you need to know about grace and salvation. You find it right here in this passage. You find other passages that give us things like that. For instance, Romans 1, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is revealed the righteousness of God by faith unto faith. Here's again this idea that uh, faith, and he ties it to the gospel on that occasion. Look, if you would, to the book of Romans in the third chapter, and, and to me, this is a passage that does a good job of showing you that that Ephesians two is not covering the whole subject; that it's it's not meant to do that. Paul says in Romans three three or three twenty three, "We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God," and he says, "Being justified freely by His grace, and to be justified." Is virtually the same thing. It's saying, you're saved. And so he says, you're saved by grace or being justified by grace. And then he says, but it's through redemption. So now you say, well, we're saved by grace, but it's it's through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as the propitiation of his blood through faith. And so you get back to faith, and faith is in it, but you see some other parts that's not in Ephesians 2 that's certainly included in Ephesians 2 just not spelled out in Ephesians 2. And so we need to be careful about just taking Ephesians 2 and 8 and saying this has everything that you need to know about uh, salvation, about grace, and so forth. I want to, to suggest to you first of all though that you look at this part about you're saved by grace through faith And then verse 9 says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now listen to me carefully. The only way that you could be saved, and not of grace, but of works, is if you never sinned. Paul says we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. I want you to understand that if you were going to be saved by works and not by grace, the only way you could do it is by keeping the law perfectly. Look over if you would to the book of Galatians and the sixth or the third chapter for a moment. I want you to look at Galatians 3 and verse 10. And Paul says on this occasion, says, for as many as are the works of the law are under a curse. Now he had some people that he had converted to Christ or were listening about Christ, but now coming back and saying, you've got to keep the law of Moses. And he says, for as many as of you are, are the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, and here's what the law said, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In other words, you're going to have to keep the law perfectly. And if you don't keep the law perfectly, you're not going to be saved of works. And so Paul is telling us, We're saved by grace through faith, not of works. But that not of works, if you were going to be saved of works, he would be saying, you're going to have to keep the law perfectly. You're going to have to live without sin is the idea. Because if you sin, then you're going to have to have grace to get forgiveness of that sin. And so we we want to understand that when Paul says not of works, he's not saying there's nothing to do. He's just saying you can't do enough to save yourself, that you're not going to be able by works to save yourself unless you manage to keep the law perfectly, and you're not going to do that, he says. In fact, uh, he talks about, cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree, verse 13. He goes on, and through this, he just talks about uh, that you have to, You'd have to keep the law without sinning if you're going to be saved by the work of the law or by law. So that's the first thing I want you to realize, that you're not going to be saved by works unless you keep the law perfectly. The second thing I would suggest to you is that salvation by grace through faith does not mean there's no conditions for salvation. That if, if we do anything, it's not by grace is the idea that some people have. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts about salvation. I mean, this is taken from the Scriptures. Mark 16, 16 is talking to us about how we can be saved. And in that passage, Jesus says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now look at the order. You believe, you're baptized, you can be saved. Think if you would for a moment to the book of Acts in the 22nd chapter in verse 16 when Ananias is talking to Paul and he says, Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What's he doing? He's telling him how to be saved. And what is he telling him? He said, Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. But somebody will come along and they'll say, well, you can't do anything. If you do anything, then it's by your works. No, you'd have to keep the the law perfectly in order to have it by works. That's not what he's talking about. But their idea still is, well, I still think that if you do anything, you're doing it by works. You're getting your salvation by works. And you say, well, the pastor said you needed to believe. Do you have to believe to have salvation? And their answer usually is, well, yes, but God gives you that faith. Faith is a gift. Now, the Bible doesn't teach that, but that's their idea, that That that's their way of getting around this, of you can't do anything. The Bible says believe, so they say, well, uh, God gives you that faith. And baptism, that's just, Uh, You do that because you're saved. I used to wonder how in the world people could read Acts 22, 16, Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, and think that baptism wasn't necessary. But it occurred to me one time, if you've been taught that if you do anything, then you nullify grace, and you want to be saved by grace, so you have to come up. You've got a conflict between that passage and your your what you're reading, and so and what you believe. And so you just say, well, salvation must be because you're saved. Again, that's not what that passage says. But let me just grant for the moment that you say faith is a gift. I don't believe that, but let's take that. You say baptism is there, but it's it's not before salvation, what about calling on the name of the Lord? In the book of Acts, in the second chapter, when Peter is quoting what Joel said about salvation, he says, whosoever should call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Romans 8, or, or Romans 10, verse 8 through 10, Paul again would talk about our confessing Jesus and says, whoever it is that calls on the name of the Lord should be saved. Who's going to call? Isn't that me calling? Isn't he telling me that I've got to call in order to be saved? I've got to call on the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean just saying, Lord, Lord. Matthew 7 would tell us not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will be saved. But what that means is I am looking to Jesus for salvation. And I'm reaching out to him for salvation. Remember, Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Where am I looking? I'm calling unto Jesus, save me. How? By repenting of my sins and being baptized into Jesus Christ. And Paul says, Ananias told him, you arise, be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. That's how he was calling on the name of the Lord, when he's baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's just simply no way of getting around that, that you're doing something. If you're going to be saved by God's grace, you've got to do something. You have not earned it, but you still have to do something. He set the conditions, and he said, you've got to repent and be baptized, or believe and repent and be baptized in order to be saved. Let me illustrate it with... John the ninth chapter. as this is not new either. We've talked about this, and I'm not the first one that's come up with it either or used it. But in John 9, Jesus and his disciples pass by, and there's a man that's blind, and, and his disciples talk about who, who made this man blind or why is he blind, did his parents sin or did this man sin. And, and Jesus tells them he was born blind that the works of God may be seen. And then he says, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. He anointed this man's eyes and then told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went, washed, and he came back seeing. I had a lengthy uh, exchange with one fellow over email on, on uh, the grace of God and so forth. And, and he kept saying, can't do anything if you do, you earn it. It's not. It's not by grace. And I brought up this passage, and I said, "Who healed the blind man?" I mean, Jesus put spit in his eyes and then told him to go wash in the pool of the Siloam, and he went and washed. And I said, "Who do you think healed the man?" He didn't answer me. We wrote again, and I said, "Hey, you didn't answer John nine." I wrote again, and he didn't answer John 9, and I wrote him again, I said, hey, you still haven't addressed John 9, who healed the man? He said, well, Jesus did. He said, obviously, if he could heal himself, he would have healed himself long before then. And I said, if you can see that, that Jesus healed the man, even though he had to go wash, then you ought to be able to see that if Jesus washes away our sins, but we have to go be baptized, it's still Jesus doing it. It's not me. We didn't discuss much more. But you see the point. It's not. It's it's that's something that he tells us to do, and that does not negate the fact that Jesus is cleansing us of our sins by grace. And so we just need to understand that we can do things, must do things, must do whatever God tells us to in order to be saved. And when we get through, we are still saved by grace. We haven't earned our salvation. We just did what Jesus wanted us to do. The third thing that I want you to know is that grace does not allow us to continue to sin willfully once we come to Jesus. I want you to to look at a couple of passages, if you would. Uh, Go to the book of Romans for a moment. And I suspect that this is one reason, and it's supposition on my part, I guess, but I suspect that this is one reason that sometimes people want to think we got grace all wrong, because they want a license to sin and still want to have the comfortable feeling that god 's going to save them even though they 're willfully sinning and just not changing their life we mentioned already, but quickly Romans one verse sixteen i 'm not ashamed of the gospel it 's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and then also for the Greek or in the it 's the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. it shows us that salvation comes from hearing the gospel, and it involves our faith. Uh, We mentioned Romans, the third chapter, in verse 22 again, or verse 24. Justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, uh, whom God set for propitiation by his blood through faith. And so there again, we see here's salvation uh, through Jesus, through faith. And then Romans 5, 1 therefore being justified by faith. Here he is, he's been showing the Gentiles that they've sinned, the Jews they've sinned, you both need Christ in order to be saved. You need that grace that is in Jesus Christ. You need faith, that by faith he would tell us in Romans 4, uh, that's what justifies us, not our, our works, but our faith. And so he comes to that conclusion in Romans 5, you're justified by faith. And then look at Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You ever stop to think about how it is that Paul thought or knew that these people that were justified by faith had been baptized? Well, the obvious reason is because those that had faith was doing what God said, and God said, to believe and repent and be baptized. And so he knew that, that those people, if they'd been justified by faith, they were people that had been baptized. But his point at this time is not the necessity of baptism. He believes these people have been baptized, and his point is, when you were baptized, you died to sin. And how can you any longer live therein, he says? It's a mistake to think that we can live any way we want to after we've been baptized into Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace through faith, and we repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, but we also die to sin, and we are alive unto righteousness now. And we have to stop sinning is what he tells us. Look at verse 16, if you would. Do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slave whom you obey, whether a sin leading to death or, or obedience leading to righteousness. But God thanked that you who were slaves of sin, yet you have obeyed the, from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We are supposed to be slaves of righteousness. And that doesn't allow us to continue on in sin and still be saved. We have to change. Now, what happens if we do sin? We're trying hard not to sin. That's got to be our attitude. But what happens if we do sin? Well, we don't have to go even get baptized again. John tells us in the book of First John in the first chapter, begin reading in verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, and John's writing to Christians, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write unto you that you might not sin. I encourage you not to sin. He said, But if any sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous, He himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the whole world. And so we confess our sins, and we repent of them, and we are forgiven. I mentioned to you in the very start about how abundant God's grace is, and and I mentioned particularly David. And I mentioned how that in the book of Acts, the thirteenth chapter, and I think it's the twenty-second verse, he tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. He turned not to the right or to the left. He sinned, but his—he never forsook God. That is, he didn't intend to 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 turn away from God. Sinned out of weakness, out of the flesh, and so forth. But he still in Romans the fourth chapter is held up as a a case of imputed righteousness and the reason being because God forgave him and didn't impute his sins to him. But why didn't God do that? You remember he sent Nathan and, and and Nathan said, David, thou art the man. And David repented. And you see that in Psalms 32, you see it in, in Psalms 51 when he writes about how, how his heart was and that he realized that he sinned and how contrite he was because of his sin. God is abundant in mercy, in grace. But he is not going to allow us just to stay in our sins and, and be of a different heart than a heart after God. And while I'm trying to tell you God is abundant in grace and and tell you, look at the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because of his, his abundant grace that God has made in there. That is for people who have a heart after God. And he's not going to cover our sins if we have a heart, for instance, after money like the rich man that he talked to and said, come follow me, and he, he went away sorrowful because he was a man of, of many possessions. If that's our heart, and that's what's causing us to sin, God's not going to forgive us while we're that heart. Now, we can change our heart, and he'll forgive us, but as long as my heart is not to do God's will and to be God's child, he's not going to extend his grace to me and forgive me of my sins while that's my heart. Or suppose it's traditions, you know. I, I, you just you you wish everybody could be saved and would be saved, and you know God is abundant in grace. But what happens when God says, "Do this," and you say, "Well, but that means I have to do something that is against." what I've always done in times past. Matthew 15, about, uh, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me, teaching the doctrines and commandments of men. There are some people that just rather stay with error and teach that than to have a heart that is in line with God and have the grace. They want the grace, but they want it while they don't have the heart after God's heart. Or what about the passions that talk about if you're going to serve me, then you've got to love me more than mother and father and brother and sister, yea, than your own life also. You've got to have the heart right, then the grace will be there. But if the heart is right, you're going to want to be doing the commandments of God, not disobeying. Let me very quickly, if I can, just give you a couple of passages that I've I think will give us the comfort to anybody that really wants the comfort to know how to receive God's grace. Look, if you would, first of all, to the book of Philippians in the third chapter. And you'll remember Paul has talked about his former life and now he's talking about the life that he's living in Christ. And I'm going to pick up in verse 13. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if Other things you think otherwise, God will reveal it even to, or this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. I want you to see what Paul is saying. He says, I don't count myself as already having attained. he's, He's saying, I can look at what I've done in converting other people, and say, "Hey, God has forgiven me. Okay, I've just got it made. I'm not going to do anything else." He says, "I don't think that'd get me there." He says, "Here's what I do. He says, "I press toward the mark. He has his eyes on heaven, and he says, "I press toward that. I, I continually want to be everything God wants me to be, and I want to get to heaven." And he says, "And I walk wherein I've attained." And then he says, if there's something else, God will show it to me. And I want to tell you, that's the way we need to live our life. We need to to be given all diligence to attain that prize and to, to get as much knowledge and as much truth as we can to be everything God wants us to be. We, we just need to rejoice at being somebody that's giving God glory. And he said, you press toward that. That's that's what you want to do. That's what you're trying to do with all of your might. And he says, "You walk where you've attained." You know, if if I learn something today that I haven't been doing yesterday, I need to start doing it today if if it's something God tells me to do. And that happens to a lot of people. They they maybe have grown it up and and they've heard things and then they are made aware of something else in the scriptures and they haven't been doing that. What do they do? Well, they start doing it, if it's the truth. And if we're giving all diligence to attain where we should, and we're walking in where we've attained, we don't know of anything that we we know that we should be doing or feel that we should be doing that we're just not doing, because that would condemn us if we did that, if our hearts condemn us, then how much more so does God? And then we are the mind God, If I've missed something, show me. I want to do right. That's all we can do. But that'll get us there. By God's grace. Because our heart is on God. And it's not somewhere else. We're doing what he tells us to do. If I could give you one more passage, it would be 2 Peter, the first chapter beginning in verse 5, where he says, give all diligence to add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, or add to your virtue knowledge, the virtue knowledge, to uh, knowledge self-control, self-control. Now well, let me turn and read it. It's not going to come. Uh, add to your faith virtue. Uh, for this, this, he says, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, self-control uh, perseverance, perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness love. He says, where if these things are, 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 are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on down in verse 11 and says, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If, if I am adding to my faith, my belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and I have virtue or that moral excellence that he's talking about. And I think that's a, a zeal for what's right but I have to add knowledge because zeal if you don't direct it in the right way it'll get you astray look at the Israelites Romans the 10th chapter so he says you add to your faith virtue and you take that virtue and you add knowledge and then you add patience where you stay with it and perseverance, and self control where you make yourself do what the Bible tells you to or the scriptures tell you to And to that godliness, you make sure that your motive is not just that you do it, but you do it because you want to please God. And then brotherly kindness, love. And he says, if you'll do that, then you're not going to fall. He's not teaching the impossibility of apostasy. But he's teaching you that that kind of life doesn't apostatize. And so you have an entrance to the kingdom ready for you. I want to go to heaven. I know how to get there through Jesus Christ. And you can come too. You just surrender yourself to Jesus. Put Jesus on in baptism. Arise up and walk in union of life. Add into your faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly, kindness. You can get there. And that's the hope that we have you're subject to the Lord's invitation this evening, whether to be baptized or whether to repent of sin. Just accept his grace as he offers it, and you can be saved. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?